Hey everyone, I want to let you know that support for today's episode comes from AL.com, Alabama's number one media site, covering in-depth news, special interest stories, college football, and everything there is to love about living in Alabama, accessible via desktop and mobile apps. Check them out at AL.com. Welcome to the Art Stories Podcast. So there I was, standing in front of a group of strangers attending a football game, being cursed out about Doritos. A minute or two later, Taylor Swift comes out and she like smiles that all-American Nashville smile and she she introduces herself, she shakes my hand, hey I'm Taylor, hey I'm the groom. We're bringing you true personal stories told in the Southern tradition and recorded in front of a live audience. I caught just enough of the video to see a very large man making this slow walk toward a van, wearing absolutely nothing but his underwear and coated in grease. And I'm going to stop right there, and the rest of it is history. I'm your host, Chris Kinsley. For a story to be any good, it has to have conflict. Things must go wrong, and the storyteller needs to encounter obstacles that they have to overcome somehow. Whenever we want to help a new storyteller recognize this fact, we often encourage them to begin by considering a story where they did something for the first time. The reason, of course, is because Whenever we engage in something we have no experience with whatsoever, things will inevitably go wrong. We can't help but encounter obstacles. So today, we're bringing you two stories of firsts, one in the pursuit of a dream and another in the pursuit of love. This first one comes from an event we hosted earlier this year where our theme was, So There I Was, stories that begin, So There I Was. Here's storyteller Jonathan Owen. So there I was, on the set of my very first movie, about to film my scene with one of my biggest dreams coming true. You see, all I've ever really wanted in life is to have my own profile on IMDb. You know what I'm talking about? If you don't know what IMDb is, it stands for Internet Movie Database. It's a really popular website and phone app. It's essentially a directory of everyone who's ever been in any movie or television show, like, ever. Ever. And so, if you have a profile on it, that means you were either in a movie or a TV show or you worked on it. And you, if you're in it, you're in it, you know, forever. It's not quite hands in the cement, but it's, you know, for, it's enough for me. Well, um, I had done some just video work because I'm kind of into filmmaking as a hobby and secretly always wanted to do it. And I'd done it with a friend of mine uh, who worked for a guy who ran a production company. We'd done little short films that were sold to churches and they were nothing too special. Uh, But he called me and he said, "Um, listen, the production company I'm working for, the guy I work for is a producer and he's going to be producing a movie that's going to be filmed in Birmingham. I was like, well, that's fantastic. And he began to tell me about the movie, and I want to let you know a little bit about the movie. Uh, essentially, it's a Christian film, and, uh, and he said, uh, so the story is this kid who is uh, in China, uh, comes over to America, and uh, he learns karate, which at first seemed a little backwards to me, but um, 
he, he gets in with a rough crowd, and he uh, eventually, uh, he, he meets this girl, and she kind of influences him, and his life gets turned around, and he becomes better at karate, and he, uh, and, and, you know, he becomes a Christian, I don't quite remember. It's kind of a cross between, like, Karate Kid and, like, Facing the Giants. Um, and uh, to tell you about who's going to be in it, because this is pretty awesome, the main character, the kid from China, his dad is a legendary kung fu movie star in China. He was in the Kill Bill movies and in other movies I don't know of. Uh, and uh, my friend described it to me. He's like, he's, like, he's like China's Jackie Chan. And I remember thinking, I thought Jackie Chan was China's Jackie Chan. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Now, the main girl, the kind of the, the other character, she is the star of an ABC Family television show about gymnasts. Do you remember that one? And little did I know at the time, the next movie she was going to go work on after this one, are you ready? Sharknado. Remember this? The tornado of sharks? Yeah. You've seen her work. Um, the other character, this other kind of kung, uh, karate kung fu guy, is, uh, was none other than, are you ready? The Red Power Ranger. So you obviously can understand the caliber of work uh, that this movie is. Well, he called me and says, listen, um, uh, the producer, you know, you've made these little short films for him that I wrote and directed and kind of started. And he's like, listen, there's a part in it. And he was wondering if you wanted to be in the movie. And my first thought was, IMDb. This is it. Like, I don't even care what this movie is about. Like, this is my ticket in. I'm pretty excited about this. And he's like, so what's the role? And he says, listen, uh, you are essentially in the role of uh, a youth pastor. And I said, I can do that because I, I am that. I'm pretty good at it. Uh, already being typecast, but that's okay. Um, and uh, he says, so essentially, like, what happens is, is like, you're this youth pastor and you kind of, the kid comes to your your uh, youth group, and he hears you preach, and he's, we'll send you the script. So they give me their script, and my, my line is an entire page of me just, like, speaking. The entire page is just me. A lot, a lot of dialogue. So I memorize it, and he says, listen, the director's going to call you when they get closer to filming the movie. So about a week or two before the movie starts, the director calls me, and he's like, listen, I want to walk you through this scene. He says, you see, the scene of the movie is pivotal. And I thought, ooh, pivotal like that's big like this is where the character like pivots like this is the like this is when like the life change begins like he comes to my youth group and he hears my sermon and and Sharknado girl invites you know, the kung fu kid to my youth group he hears my sermon and it begins the life change and it, he's like, this scene is pivotal. And not only is it pivotal, but there's going to be a musical element in it that uh, we have a girl who's written a song for the movie. He said, hey, have you ever seen the Tinkerbell movie? And at that time, I had not. Uh, I have three daughters, and now I have. And he said, the girl, there's a girl who wrote the song for the closing credits of the Tinkerbell movie. She's written a song for this movie. And uh, he's like, Mate, you might have heard of her. And I was like, I haven't, actually. And he said she, her song that she wrote for Tinkerbell was actually the, the highest-ranking song on Radio Disney by an unsigned artist, which seems to me like a baseball statistic. You know what I'm saying? Anyway. Um, but I'm excited. So uh, filming begins. My friend who's been working on the movie, he calls me, and he, I'm not talking to him. How's it going? He's like, dude, it's been a little rough. A lot of people working on the film, or this is their first time to work on a movie. A lot of film students, and, um, you know, it's kind of a kind of ragtag crew. And, um, and I'm supposed to go and, and be at this coffee shop uh, at 5 o'clock on a Wednesday night. So I'm a youth group. I'm a youth leader. I get someone to cover youth group because this is my big night. I invite some of my friends as extras because apparently they're having a hard time getting extras. And I get to the coffee shop, and nobody's there. 
I was like, okay. Um, but I text my friend. He's like, dude, everyone's running late. Just sit tight. And about an hour later, people start trickling in. And as the crew and the cast are coming in, I begin to realize that there's a little bit of tension among the crew because they've been working since like 6 or 7 this morning. It's 12 hours later, and we still have a lot to do. Um, because you're going to be filming two scenes in this coffee shop. They're going to be filming one scene at the front of the coffee shop with the tables and the cash register. And then they're going to go to the back of the coffee shop with this little stage, and that's where my thing is. Well, a day or two before this happened, uh, the director called me and said, listen, we've changed your part a little bit. And I was like, that's cool. I'll roll with it. He says, uh, we want the movie to have a little bit more broad appeal. And so instead of being a youth pastor, you're going to be a motivational speaker. <laughs> and my first thought was, oh, crap, I'm Chris Farley. Because that's the, all I know about motivational speaker. And also, what high school girl invites her friend to come see a motivational speaker? Like, I, 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 anyway, it's like, okay. So they took my sermon. Instead of, like, being open your Bibles, it's like, there's a guy in the Bible. You might have heard of it. It's just like, and anyway. So I was like, I, whatever. So we get there, and they're coming in. And uh, I run over because I see the producer. And I don't know anyone because no one's meeting me. And I, I kind of meet the producer that I knew. And uh, he introduces me to the costume director. And the guy who's a costume director, uh, he had like, like all these kind of dreadlocks pulled back. And he would always, like when he would talk and think, he would kind of cross his arms and twirl his, uh, one of his dreadlocks. Uh, and he had a t-shirt on, shorts, and on his feet he had uh, silver sparkle sneakers. And my first thought was, my daughter has those same sneakers. <laughs> I did not tell him that. Um, and uh, as I'm talking to him, he looks at me. And he looks down at my flannel shirt and my pants and my Converse, and he looks up at me and he goes, oh, no. And I thought, oh, no, too. Like, because no one ever told me what to wear, and I don't exactly know. I know what a youth pastor wears because I have a closet full of that. I don't know what a motivational speaker wears, so I just wore what youth pastor wears, so I have normal outfit on. And... Uh, and the producer's like, listen, this is not going to work. You don't look like a motivational speaker. And I was like, honestly, right now, I don't even feel like one. And uh, he says, listen, um, he says to the, the costume director, listen, go and find him some new pants. Buy, buy some pants and some shoes. Um, keep your receipt. We'll pay you back. And he walks off. Well, then the, ca the casting director comes over. And the costume director and the casting director who are standing on either side of me begin to get in an argument. Because apparently the costume director keeps being told, just pay for this. Keep the receipt and we'll pay you back. But after like a month of shooting, he's never been paid back. And he tells the other guy, I'm not paying any, I'm not buying any more clothes. I'm done with this. And they are now kind of fighting. And I'm standing there just feeling horrible about me and my pants. And they're like, just sit down and we'll figure it out. So I go and I sit down and I'm just like, this is, you know, not quite what I'd imagined. You know, I wasn't expecting like my own little folding chair with my name on it, but I was not expecting my pants to be at the, uh, the heart of a big argument here. So they begin to get the scene ready. The first one that I'm not in, scene that is not pivotal. And uh, they're getting the scene all together and it is taking a while. The lighting's not right, and they're going on and on, and it's like now 8 o'clock, and then it's now 9 o'clock, and I'm just like sitting there watching this scene happen, and finally the costume director comes over, and he says, listen, come here, and um, he says, you see the guy who's running the coffee shop, and I look, and behind the counter is the guy who owns the coffee shop. He's kind of this uh, man in his like kind of mid-50s, he's a little bit larger, he's a little sweaty, because he's been making coffee and like dinner for everybody. He says, listen, we've talked to the owner of the coffee shop, he has offered to let you wear his pants. <laughs> I 
And I thought, I don't want to wear his pants. Like, I would rather be in a movie without pants than in a movie with his pants. And then I begin to think about exactly, like, logistically how this happens. Like, there's, like, this one-seater, like, one-stall, one-person bathroom. Like, exactly how is the transfer of pants going to happen? So I'm now sitting. The movie's taking place. I'm like, all right, if he goes in there, was he going to leave the pants in the bathroom and come out without his pants on? And also, what pants is he going to wear? Because he is not wearing my pants. And I'm just stewing over this. Like, I feel horrible. And, and all, of, all for my pants. And, and it finally is like 11 o'clock. And they finally finish this scene. And everyone is angry. And now it's time for my big scene, which I've been waiting for for like six hours. And they, so they set the cameras up in the back of the coffee shop. And they're now facing the stage. And um, they, they call me up. And they said, Jonathan, it's time for your scene. And I'm like, they forgot about my pants. And I'm not going to remind them. And so I go and I sit on a stool, on a little stage, kind of like this. And not only did they forget about my pants, but like no one like actually combed my hair or like put any makeup on me or did anything other than, all right, it's your turn. And so I sit down and they say, action. And I am, I give my sermon and like in like one or two takes, like we got it. I was like, it's been like, like, like 10 minutes. They're like, yeah, we got it. I'm just that good, maybe? I don't know. And the, but we said, we need one more shot. So they turned the camera off of me and put it on the couch. And Sharknado girl sitting there next to the Tinkerbell. And Tinkerbell's going to get up and do her song. And I'm going to go and take her seat next to Sharknado. And so they're doing this quick little scene. And so they say, action. Uh, Tinkerbell gets up. And I go and I sit down uh, in her seat next to Sharknado. And uh, in that moment, she leans over and she puts her hand on my shoulders while the camera's rolling. And she says, good words, like about my sermon. And I looked at her and I said, thank you. And they said, cut. And in my mind, I thought, that's improv. We just improv that. Because that was not in the script. But I'm in the zone and I'm rolling with it. And very quickly, they wrap the scene up and everyone disperses and I'm driving in my car home and I get home and I'm in bed and I'm laying there thinking about the nightmare that was my dream come true. Um, this was five years ago, and as of today, the movie has yet to be released. <laughs> and uh, what's even worse is my friend who worked on the movie, who is now an assistant editor on the movie, called, and I talked to him, and he told me that my pivotal scene is now a deleted scene. I know. Uh, and three years ago, uh, me and some of my friends got together, and I wrote and directed and starred in a short film that premiered at the Sidewalk Film Festival here in town. And someone saw it and it got picked up by another film festival. And if you would like to know about it, it's called Home Sweet Home. And you can look it up on IMDb. Thank you. Jonathan Owen is a children's minister and the director of Camp Straight Street. You can learn more at CampStraightStreet.com and find Jonathan on Twitter at TheJWoo. That's the J-A-W-O-O. Now, many of us would rather forget the stories of our first awkward attempts at love because, you know, of how bad we were at it. Well, 
Our next storyteller isn't any better, but he is willing to share all the shameful details with us. We'll have that story in just a moment after the break. We all love stories. And if you're anything like me, then the stories you love the most are the ones that do much more than simply entertain you. They move you or inspire you or help you make sense of the world around you. And that's why I am so thankful for AL.com. They are so much more than a news site and always go well beyond a just the facts approach to the news of the day. Like us, the good people at AL.com are storytellers who help connect me to everything that's going on in my community, in my state, and even to what's going on around the world. Plus, as Alabama's number one media site, AL.com is the perfect platform to help you tell the story of your product or business. So engage with them today. They've made it so easy, their site is right there in their name. Simply visit AL.com. Love stories of one kind or another pervade our culture. And I think we all enjoy them because love is one of those universal human emotions we all relate to. We all know what it is like to love and to want to be loved in return. So almost any of us can identify with a story about that pursuit, even when it doesn't have a Hollywood ending. And that's the case in this next story. From an event we hosted earlier this year where our theme was Crazy Little Thing, stories about the good, the bad, and the very, very ugly of being in love. Here's storyteller James Minderhout. It was a Friday afternoon, many, many, many years ago, and uh, I was in uh, the third grade and I was sitting in my classroom and my jaw was hanging down and my eyes were popping out. And, uh, but it was the same look that every other kid had on their face because my free-spirited, slightly misguided third grade teacher had just made a very startling, strange announcement. Uh, we had just gotten back from chapel and she stood up and she said, uh, boys, you all look so cute in your ties. I'm gonna start a new break today and here's what I want you to do. Go ahead and get up. I want you to I'll get up and go to the girl that you have a crush on and give her a kiss. And I should mention that she disappeared three months later with no explanation whatsoever. But in that moment, you know, I felt myself overwhelmed by this crazy peer pressure, you know. And uh, I started to get up and I looked around and other boys, they're standing up like they knew this was going to happen. And uh, the teacher's at the front of the room encouraging us like some bizarre Julie Andrews from a freaky, you know, Sound of Music remake. And uh, I'm like, okay, I can have a crush on somebody. Forget the fact that I've got, you know, a circle, circle, dot, dot, cooties vaccine still drying on my hand from earlier. But I look over in the aisle next to me, and there's this girl. I mean, yeah, she's pretty. So I'm like, there's my crush. So I walk over to her, and... And uh, she got auburn hair and uh, green eyes and freckles, the cute kind of freckles. And, uh, and uh, she's paralyzed with fear, like all the other girls <laughs> at the time. And I summoned up you know, all the courage that I had built up in eight years on the planet. And I reached down and I gave her a soft kiss on the cheek. And I jerked my head back, waiting for the 
reaction. But uh, she didn't recoil or she didn't shriek like was going on. I mean, complete pandemonium in the classroom. But instead, she blushed and she smiled and then she kind of cocked her head to the left a little bit. And uh, suddenly something just kind of came over me. And for my third grade brain, I interpreted that as I'd just fallen in love. <laughs> and I was ready right then to commit the rest of my life to this girl. The, uh, the problem was I didn't know anything about girls and no one had talked to me about girls and uh, my most immediate concern was the fact that I didn't have a car. Um, what I did know about, you know, love was from the movies and, you know, you boy meets girl, you get in a car and anything that goes down happens in this car. So. In my genius brain, I decided, okay, well, what I'll do is I will, you know, win her affection by uh, lavishing her with shiny, sparkly gifts like a mating penguin or a crow or something, and uh, of course I didn't have any, but it occurred to me that my mother had plenty in her jewelry box. Yeah, I know. So for, for the next several days, every morning as the smell of bacon wafted through our house, I would go sneak into my mother's bedroom and take a gift that day's offering for my, my beloved. And uh, I can still remember the first you know, piece of jewelry that I stole, but uh, it was like this large, you know, uh, tacky 1970s uh, costume jewelry, complete mess of a necklace, and uh, it had like this big, flat, gold-plated heart that was covered in fake diamonds and a gigantic chain that would make the hip-hop world proud. <laughs> and I somehow shoved it all in my tiny pocket and got to school without being noticed, and... Uh, I waited for the uh, appropriate moment when we were up the cubbies and uh, getting a book or something, and I reached in my pocket very awkwardly and just pulled out this gangly pile of metal and shoved it to her and said, here. And uh, she looked at it appropriately sadly and uh, said, thank you, because that's how we were raised. But then she tossed it into her cubby and ran back to her, her desk. So. But uh, this, this kind of just repeated itself over and over. And, I know what you're saying. You're like, a more seasoned lover would have just given up. But um, in my third grade rationale, I just said, well, you know, it's just not a nice enough piece of jewelry. So then I started giving her my mom's real <laughs> diamond stuff. And uh, I don't know how, how much jewelry I gave her. I really don't remember. But at a certain point, it reached a point where, you know, I don't know... I guess whatever it was I was expecting, I wasn't getting. And I also realized that I don't know what I'm supposed to expect. Um, so, you know, it just sort of, you know, something, it was, it was a confusing time of life. And, uh, you know, what made it more confusing was that that week, another girl in my class who I'd only talked to a couple times on the playground had given a note to another girl who then gave it to me, and it had two boxes to check to go or not go steady. And I think I said yes. So, I mean, as you can see, my love life at the time was sort of experiencing quite an uptick. And um, I think, uh, you know, I think the extraordinary stress and anxiety that went along with the daily procurement of jewels to fulfill my idiotic uh, courting obligation just was too much. And um, that combined with this new you know, realization that, hey, maybe I don't have to spend the rest of my life with a girl who I bonded with through some bizarre, unnatural ritual. Uh, and the fact that my teacher had suddenly been replaced. Um, it sort of just fizzled and everything sort of settled back down to a 
a more natural state for which I can assure you we are all eternally grateful. And uh, I'd like to tell you that, like, you know, since then, I've learned all there is to know about love and relationships and women. But I've got two ex-wives that would tell you that's not true. <laughs> I do buy all of my own jewelry. I will say that. And as a side note, I reached out on, you know, in preparing for this story to the girl on Facebook. I was like, you know, and just to get her take on it because I, it was so long ago. And she remembers it differently, you know, according... <laughs> According to her, you know, it was, it was she that had the crush on me, and I broke her heart. And she knew the whole time that the jewelry was stolen. She was worried I was going to get caught. <laughs> but I'll end on this. Um, three years after that first kiss on the last day of sixth grade, we were all milling about saying our goodbyes. This taller, more developed, more mature-seeming than me, beautiful, freckled, girl came up to me, and she said in a really loud voice, but that's probably just because it felt like the entire class just went silent, Jimmy, why did you used to always give me your mother's jewelry? <laughs> and uh, sometimes I still wake up at night, you know, with the horrific pain of that memory, you know, that bone-crushing, debilitating humiliation that drained all the blood out of me that afternoon, and what you need to understand is what made it so embarrassing was that at that moment, I was in the middle of basking in the appreciation of my new crush, who I had just given <laughs> a brand new necklace in its jewelry box that I had just gotten that morning from my mother's dresser. James Minderhout is an artist, musician, and the Chief Business Development Officer for Atlanta Pro AV. Find him on Twitter at James Minderhout. So if you've enjoyed today's stories, we would love to have you join us for more at our next live event. It's coming up in just a couple of days on Saturday, September 17th at the Avon Theater in Birmingham, Alabama. Our theme will be Go Fight Win, stories about sports. You can get all the information and your tickets at our website, arcstories.com. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening to the Arc Stories podcast. I'm Chris Kinsley. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Chris Kinsley. Arc Stories is at all those places too, at Arc Stories. This podcast is produced by me and Arc Stories director, Taylor Robinson. Preston Lovingood composed our theme, and our ad music is from Ben Beany. Special thanks to Eric Chapman from Symmetric Sound for his audio expertise, as well as to Aaron Moon, Betsy Lee, Senior Etheridge, and Casey Sharp for making this episode possible. We would love it if you subscribe to this podcast and help us let others know what you think. The best way to do that is to leave us a review on iTunes. I read each and every single one of them. And so right now I want to say a big thank you to TL Story 09, TI Story 09. Actually, I think I'm going to go with Tistory 09 for your recent review. It means the world to us. You can also visit our website, arcstories.com. There you can listen to all kinds of other stories. You can stay up to date with each and every single one of our events and everything else we have going on. And 
You can even submit your own story to tell. After all, we are always asking, what's your story?